Learn Persian with Chai and Conversation, Lesson 69. Hello and welcome to Lesson 69 of Learn Persian with Chai and Conversation. So we're here today with our dear friend and musician and resident poet, Farid Shafinuri. Salam, Farid. Good afternoon. So today we're going to be covering Farooq Farooqzad's poem, Fateh Bagh. And I'm very excited because this is one of the first poems. We studied this in our uh, class with Professor Hillman. Uh, we've talked about him before, but he's actually an expert in Farooq Farooqzad. He knew her. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book about her called A Lonely Woman. Uh, if you're interested, that has a lot of information about her and her poems. And I remember this poem was so exciting to me when we first read it, and it's always stayed with me, and I've, I've reread it throughout the years. So I'm really excited to talk about this poem with Farid today. And before we started, we wanted to talk about kind of the inspiration of doing this poem right now, and that was we just got back from the Marfa Film Festival, mm-hmm. which I'll let Farid take over because he... He is an expert Marfa film festival goer. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This must have been the third or fourth one I've attended. Probably third. Um, well, it was dedicated to women. And in particular, we had a highlighting and showcasing of uh, Iranian women uh, in the larger diaspora that had either films enrolled or art installations that they painstakingly spent time on making occur, like the Tehran Tipi project, which was actually hosted and um, helped uh, imagined with a trying conversation and myself. Tehran Tipi. So, Leila, tell us about Tehran Tipi. <laughs> well, first, let's go back. What is Marfa? Marfa is a tiny little town in Texas. It is a small town. West, West Texas. It's in the desert. And it's a beautiful town, and we have been going there uh, for the past 20 years, actually, Thaid mm-hmm. and I. There's this draw of the desert, and maybe it's because we're Iranian. <laughs> there's there's this kind of, there's a lot of artists that live out there, and you, you go out there and you instantly get inspired. It's an intersection. It's an intersection, for and sure. It's an intersection out in the middle of nowhere, West Texas, where right. the sky becomes so ever-present, and I feel... Many artists, such as Donald Judd, which was one of the pioneering voices and founders in some ways of like contemporary art and minimalism, uh, minimalism to to a very minimal point. But anyways, this festival occurs out there with our dear friend Robin Lombardia, and she uh, beautifully dedicated the 10th year of this wonderful festival to women empowerment, especially in the time and age that we live in now. So Farid has become uh, involved in this festival, and he asked, or he and Robin asked Try and Conversation to become a sponsor of the event, which we were very excited to do. And we sponsored a, uh, the, the, during the first night, we sponsored a party out there in the desert. Mm-hmm. There's, a te- there's a bar over there that's an open bar, very beautiful space, and there's a teepee in the middle of there. And it was Farid's suggestion that we do something called the Tehran teepee. So... Our idea for this was to have the sights, sounds, smells of Tehran. And uh, we played the movie Gav on a projector in there. Mm-hmm, the cow. 
the cow exactly this is one, one of the most imp- first important art films that came out of iran right um and it was quite trippy to see an iranian <laughs> man weeping and, and crouching through the through the deserts <laughs> in search of his cow and these and these marfans and these intellectuals and artists from new york they would fly in i would i would you know watch them stare up at the ceiling of the teepee and ask one another as they sipped on their on their relative beverage is this movie about a cow <laughs> and it is <laughs> and, how, and then and then me and chris uh-huh. um my husband your husband we would go up to them and be like yes it is about the cow <laughs> so we had many fun encounters yeah. and, and we had some uh Persian dancers from the dance company Ravan from Austin go out there. Yeah, Ravan and Dance Company by yeah. Giti Shirazi Mahajan. Yes, a good friend of ours, and they did a beautiful Persian dance. And we also had cocktails inspired by by uh, Persian flavors like sour cherry cocktails, orange, orange blossom. blossom. Yeah, pretty much, uh, it was a very Persianophile event, and, and an we Iranian cooked, DJ. Oh yeah, we cooked. We cooked the meal that fed practically all of the attendees. Yes. Uh, a Persian jeweled rice. <laughs> and after all this preparation for this party and becoming a sponsor of the event, there is a bit of a punchline for the actual Tehran TP itself. Layla <laughs> fell asleep. <laughs> Layla not only fell asleep, we saw her the next morning. That's right. I missed the entire party that I helped throw <laughs> because I have a two-year-old at home and the thing that I want to do when I escape, the first yeah. thing I want to do is just sleep. <laughs> yes, and you know, sleeping in the desert is a powerful... <laughs> oh, another thing we did for this party, I have to say, is we printed the two poems that we've learned so far, both the Persian version and yes. the translation. Bravo. And from that very, this was the first night of the party, and so the first night of the festival. And so we had each person draw one of the poems and have that be their mantra mm-hmm. for the festival. And people loved it. They loved yeah, it. Yeah, they, they kept coming up to us the rest of the festival and saying, you know, this poem was so amazing. And I, I saw several weeping in the corner of the teepee. <laughs> they really were. They were touched. And, and I did not see it because I was asleep. You were asleep in, in the real Tehran teepee. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I think Leila, like what's interesting about you know the poem that we're about to analyze today by Fulufarokhsad is that again we find like this yearning, this need to to have nature be the the antithesis to all of society's uh, regulations and judgments on on how a woman should be loved or how a woman can love another. Right, and that's a good point. That's a good transition because Marfa. One of the reasons that we love it is it's, you know, going out into nature, going out into the desert um, from a place like Austin. It's so busy. Um, We like that escape. And, you know, we talked about Sohrab Sepehri. He also really found solace in nature. And here we have this this woman uh, that's very free and open with her sexuality and her and her belief system and not to be compromised and she's uh, expressing a love for a man which uh, later in the show and this conversation we might reveal but the, but what is a loose translation of this uh, poem Fatibal uh, conquest of the garden exactly so so we have Hillman's translation of this professor Hillman's translation of it which is pretty good. Um, it's it's always hard to read a translation because you right. can never get that true feeling and, and right. meaning. So and, then and he was fairly literal with right. the translations. <laughs> it's true. And so actually what we're going to do with this poem is 
Um, unlike the other poems where we've read sections of them, we're going to read the entire first half of the poem. We felt like there's no other way to really do right. this poem justice um, and really get to the heart and meat of it. And, and the flow and musicality of it, because as we, as we have been asking all of our lovely listeners to come back and uh, and recite and record themselves, I think the flow of, uh, of a modern poem that, that breaks away from traditional classical form mm-hmm. is, uh, there is an inherent flow, even though it doesn't have a traditional ry- rhythmic cycle as you would right. find in Rumi or Hafez. Right. So if, if we jump right into it, Fat Tabakh, how about we go section by section here? Sure. But the general gist of the poem, which you asked me to say, is that uh, it's Furukh Farukh Saad was, the, they say, the first feminist poet, basically. Right. And she had, she was married off at a very early age to someone that she actually was in love with, her cousin, who was 30 years old at the time, and she was in her teens. So a big age discrepancy. And she had a child very early on, and she was kind of thrown into this role of motherhood and, and being a wife. But she, you know, was an artist. And so eventually she left that life. Um, and tragically, in the process, she lost access to her son forever. Uh, She was not allowed to see him again, which is a big part of her. But uh, she fell in love with the director, Ibrahim Golestane, who already had a wife. And it was a big scandal. And they had a very open relationship. And he was uh, was still married to his wife, but he and Furug never got married, which, as you know, in Iran at the time, you could have more than one wife. She was an unapologetic mistress. Exactly. And, and, and the key word here is unapologetic. And I think as we go through Fatibal, the conquest of the garden, we'll see how she has no problems through symbolism, through nature, expressing her love and devotion to Ibrahim Gorasana. So in this poem, she's saying we don't need society. We don't need approval of society. We can find all the answers in the garden, in nature. As Sohrab Saberi also alluded to. Yes, wonderful. So yeah, let's go ahead. If you can read the, um, read Furu's writing, and I'll read Hillman's translation of it, and then we can just go through and discuss. Yeah. See how much we uh, we are in congruence. Sounds good. An kalagi ke parid as faraz sarema va furu raf dar andi shey aashufte abri veligar. و صدایش همچون نیز کوتاهی پهنای افق را پیمود خبر ما را با خود خواهد برد به شهر That crow which flew over our heads and descended into the disturbed thought of a vagabond cloud and the sound of which traversed the breadth of the horizon like a short spear will carry the news of us to the city Beautiful. She she's uh, somehow saying here, in my opinion, that um, as much as we may think, others do not know, but everyone knows. Right. We can't really hide our love for one another in this society, because even if we're in the garden, this crow is flying above our heads mm-hmm. to tell everyone in the city. On kalagi kiparid kalag, which is the word for crow, kalag. That's right. And there's a lot of bird imagery in this poem, too. Kalor comes up, and then we'll see other birds come up, which each carry big symbolism. But it is showing that they've already disconnected from society. They've already left. They're in the garden. They're in the garden. Next 
section. همه میدانند همه میدانند که من و تو از اون روزنه سرد ابوس باغ را دیدیم و از آن شاخه بازیگر دور از دست سیب را چیدیم Everyone knows everyone knows that you and I have seen the garden from that cold sullen window and that we have plucked the apple from that playful branch beyond reach There we have our apple imagery again. Right, Adam and Eve <laughs> taking a bite out of that apple together. That's right. And uh, so, in the third line here, after Hamemidanand, everyone knows, yes. Hamemidanand, everyone knows. And we see that repetition there, which creates a flow and creates a rhythm. Hamemidanand, Hamemidanand, Kemanoto, Azon Rozane Sar Davus. And here, Hillman translates Rozane as window. But Rosane also can can quite literally mean a small, narrow, peaking hole. Oh, okay. So if if I'm sure everyone here is somewhat familiar with the Secret Garden, mm-hmm. and I I very vividly remember that the first time that the, the child, the girl, found the Secret Garden uh-huh. was through looking through a little peeping hole right. in a garden. <laughs> We saw the garden for the first time mm-hmm. through that small, tiny hole. And we saw that from that playful uh, puppeteering branches as if the branches were playing with their hearts and pulling on their strings to come and to take a bite out of the apple. That's right. And what happens when you take a bite out of the apple? Is you no longer are innocent. And you, you also gain the knowledge, right? Like yourself, you have a direct line to knowledge. Right. You're not no longer dependent on this figure to give you knowledge. Right. Or or, or there is a uh, some fundamental release of fear. Oh yeah. Right. right. Society has always branded, if you know the scarlet letter, so would would have been hanging upon her neck if uh, she allowed it in her mind. She did not. Hamimi tarsand. And it goes on here with with another repetition. So first you had hamemidanand, hamemidanand, and now you have hamemitarsand, hamemitarsand. Everyone is afraid. Everyone is afraid. Hamemitarsand, hamemitarsand. Amma manoto bechirag ab ayne peyvasti vanatarsi. Everyone is afraid. Everyone is afraid. But you and I joined with lamp. Water and mirror, and we are not afraid. So I love this section, Layla, mm-hmm. because even though Furul is is breaking from traditional form and and po- uh, poetry writing, and uh, so to speak, that vazn as they uh-huh. speak, which is the the weight to to words or the rhythm that you find in, tr- in traditional Persian poetry, here you how you see how she subtly has brought it in. Through just a simple repetition of certain vowels, mm-hmm. so in the third line you have these symbolisms, and and how how has Hillman translated them? Lamp, lamp, water, and mirror. And what what do those? Sim- I'm sure we've spoken about this in Chai <laughs> yeah. conversation. So those are the traditional symbols that you put on a wedding table, so a wedding altar. Iranians mm-hmm. have altars for everything, right? And there's symbolic elements of of. Uh, Of the wedding ceremony on the table. So how, how pagan of us! Right. So basically, here it sounds like she's saying, 
everyone's afraid, but we have tied ourselves to this tradition to of these marriage. symbols, right? To these with the symbols. the lamp or cherog. Mm-hmm. So he's so Dr. Hillman, our our pr- professor, which mm-hmm. both Layla and I shared uh, gratefully his courses together. Lamp uh, would be a, a very literal mm-hmm. uh, translation, but Cheral actually, by lamp, he's talking about light. Mm-hmm. So the symbolism of light and water and reflection, mm-hmm. mirror. So so to, to be able to reflect yourself through the purity of water and light is, is to have no sin, to have no wrong, mm-hmm. for there to be all but right, for there to be nothing but right. Mm-hmm. But that, but the rhythm there with the three valves, cherok, ab, ayene, and the three of those together as uh, with the a, ah, the vowel of the alif, with the bakola, with the hat on top. Yes. Beautiful, right? It reminds me a lot of like Ruzo Shab, Ruzo Shab, like right. falling into a rhythm. Right. Um, it's with the and and you're right. I hadn't even noticed the oh oh oh. It's like flowing on water. And and this happens throughout the poem. So right. I I feel like even as as you read it and you hear it, mm-hmm. if you hear things that kind of flow into one another, or what's the word we have in English? Is alliteration. Alliteration, maybe? exactly. So so to go on here in the in the next uh, section, Sochanas Sochanas Pevand Sostedonam Vahamarushi Dar Arak Kohne Yek Daftar Nist Sochanas Gisuy Khushbacht Manast Bashagayak Hay Suchtiya Busayato. I'm not talking about the flimsy linking of two names and embracing in the old pages of a ledger. I'm talking about my fortunate tresses with the burnt anemone of your kiss. Wow. <laughs> so so imagine how groundbreaking it must be for for a woman at that time to say that I'm not talking about going go get married mm-hmm. in some office. Which is yeah, the the um embracing in the old pages of a ledger is basically the next step. So you make this altar, you put your lamp and your mirror and your uh, your water your water on there, and then an old man comes and sits down. And as soon as the ceremony is over, he signs your names in a book. So she's saying, oh, "I'm not talking about that that yeah. ledger. I'm not talking about that old man." So she kind of tricked us. Yeah. You know? she, in the beginning, it sounds like she's saying we got married. Exactly. We tied ourselves to this tradition. But actually, we got married with passion and lust right. and love and by biting that apple. I mean, here she's talking in the third line. She's saying, no, what I'm actually talking about, I'm actually speaking about how happy my hair has been since you've been kissing it with those burnt opium-laced lips. Because mm-hmm. the flower uh, here, the poppy, mm-hmm. Yep is is the flower that you make opium with right. so she is now high and drunk and completely like in heaven mm-hmm. and you know this also reminds me the the whole garden of eden thing cutting of the fruit they've become their own gods right right they no longer need that middleman in there right uh, to reach enlightenment and in the same way they don't need these traditions they've become their own 
love, like they have become love. Oh, the blasphemy. Mm-hmm. So, so to continue here, she, she even goes further. You, you would imagine she stopped there with her luscious, <laughs> happy locks of hair. No, no, no. She continues. And here we have in the, in the sixth line. So actually, I'll continue by, by reading the first five lines just so you could feel the flow. Sohana's pevanda sostedonam, Bahamogushi dar uroge kohne yek daftarinis. Sohana's gisu yehoshbach de manas, Boshago yakhoi suhte busi to, Basamimiate tanhoemon dar tarori, Vaterachidane orionimon. مثل فلس ماهی ها در آب سخن از زندگی نقره آوازی است که سهرگاهان فواره کوچک میخواند In the intimacy of our bodies and the glow of our nakedness like fish scales in the water I am talking about the silvery life of a song which the small fountain sings at dawn Wow so Mm-hmm. It's. I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory. Right. That now she's she's straight up talking about something that would have been so taboo at at her time, and even now, yeah, in Iran would be considered taboo. Uh, but something that just even I picked up on just now, which is the favore kuchayk michanet, the singing of a fountain. Mm-hmm. She's actually talking about a going all the way to a, a climax of her experience of love with with this Ibrahim Goldasana, which you are related to, Layla. <laughs> right? Uh, yes, interestingly, I'm distantly <laughs> related. My husband's uncle had mm. married an Iranian woman there uh, since divorce, but they have two children together. Um, and her mother, <laughs> <laughs> for a long time, dated and eventually married uh, recently, Ibrahim Golestane. Uh, They're in their 90s now. They live uh, in a castle in, in six London. Six degrees of separation. Yes, Cousin Cyrus always goes out to the castle. And, and I'm like, do you know who you, who your grandmother married? He has no idea. No idea. So <laughs> cute. But yeah, so Furu here is, is a Frito Kahlo without any doubt. Oh, yeah. And and if we continue. So, she's, so now she's made it fairly clear that this is not about marriage this is about real love this mm-hmm. is about purity it's about going back to nature that's right We asked wild rabbits one night, in that green flowing forest, in the shells full of pearls in that turbulent cold-blooded sea, and the young eagles on that strange overwhelming mountain, what should be done? So uh, it's beautiful that, you know, again, she's not looking for someone in nature, uh, for someone in society to, to give her an okay and to make her feel not judged. She's like... I'm going to the depths of the ocean to ask the pearls That's and right. to the highest tops of the mountains to speak to the to the eagles. That's right. I so there's I, our second bird. The there. second bird. Yeah. Uh, the crow and the eagle. Mm-hmm. And, and and what's beautiful is the crow is actually being the tattletale. Uh-huh. Being like, haha, I'm going to tell everyone in the city what you two have done. Right. And she's saying, well, we're going to go to the wise eagles way right. up there that are above judgment. Exactly. 
right? They're they're above this pettiness of of whatever you think we may or may have done that's wrong because love mm -hmm. there is no sin in love and for a that's woman right. to make when Rumi said it it was okay right and Rumi probably spoke about his own lover Shams right but when Furu says it everyone got their panties twisted <laughs> definitely and <laughs> that's a good point too here too we can take this idea of love just like in Rumi they say well what could it have been love for him and Shams. It could have been like this uh, physical, sensual love, but it could have also been talking about uh, his love for God, for the divine. In the same sense, this poem could also be taken completely literally about her love for Ibrahim Golestane, or it could be taken as, you know, uh, love for divinity and the idea of, you know, the heart of Sufism is that God is within you. Like you don't need religious text you don't need these things to to reach god and so in the same way we could read this as her saying okay i took a bite of the apple myself i know god now right um and i love that i love how it ends with this chiboyat card this is what to me it's such a do? grave sentence you know mm -hmm. she's like uh at this point she's desperately looking to nature and asking, well, what do we do? We've taken a bite of the apple. There's no turning back. Right. right. And and then she continues further on here, again with the repetition. And earlier we had and before that, again, we had So you can, you can begin seeing a pattern to how the language is rhythmically pushing you and moving you through and and taking note of the rhythm is what's going to keep the integrity of the the poem alive and its beauty و بقا را در یک لحظه نامحدود که دو خورشید به هم خیره شدند. Everyone knows, everyone knows. We found our way into the cold and quiet dream of phoenixes. We found truth in the garden, in the embarrassed look of a nameless flower, and we found immortality in an endless moment when two suns stared at each other. Can I just say, wow, <laughs> yes. wow, wow, wow. This is so beautiful. Now the third elevated bird here, we have Simo mm -hmm. which is the, the phoenix. And I and I think later in, in one of our future Chayan Conversation podcasts, we'll do uh, pieces from Shahnameh. Oh, definitely. Where we can further expand on this mythology of this, this beautiful, actually first... Uh, the Simor being mm -hmm. the phoenix was considered a a maternal figure. Mm -hmm. It was a heroine, mm -hmm. and it, it had a female hero role in the Shahnameh. Mm -hmm. And here she's going from crow to eagle, and then furthermore to the phoenix. And the phoenix was this mythological creature that that protected and was righteous, and 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 created a space of nurturing mm -hmm. for for those in need. And and for her to to say that we have gone beyond, and I believe there is a 
another book by called Conferences, a Conference of the, of the Birds, of yeah. the Bird, and by Atar. Mm-hmm. And again, that's that's another piece where you see a lot of this a little, uh, uh, sort of symbolism of, mm-hmm. of, of a progression and, and height of knowledge and wisdom and, and to reach the, the level of the, the phoenix, that's it. Mm-hmm. You, you have reached the, the height of your enlightenment. It's the, the, as, high, as far as the seven, the seven skies, as I say, half the awesome on, mm-hmm. you, you go through. So cosmically, here, <laughs> she's taking you as saying that me and my lover, we're two suns. We're right. two stars orbiting and staring at one another. Right, which I love because, again, as a feminist perspective, they're two suns. They're equal. I love that. Right. Uh, she uses that imagery. One is not so the little powerful. moon. Exactly. Yeah, we are these two massive orbiting right. suns staring at each other. She she rocked the boat, as we could say, <laughs> and uh, we we could and and you know historically, you know, just to, to break break away from the poem a little bit and yep. talk about context, the context of you know strong f- Persian female characters, mm-hmm. even today in the in the movement for. For civil rights in uh, in Iran, it's the women in the forefront. That's right. That's very true. Today, you can really see that in the top, you know, writers, filmmakers. It's really incredible how far women have come. Not even in the West. I feel like we don't have as many. Like in Iran, everyone can name so many female directors, and it's getting a little bit better here. But I remember up to you know ten years ago, I'd say I know more Iranian filmmakers female fil- filmmakers in America. I think 65% of college graduates That's in right. Iran are women. That's right. So, so, but so, at the time, she really was alone. She I mean, was. There are centuries of Iranian history that don't even mention women at all. Right. And, I mean, there you've mentioned... Tahereh um, Boratorein. Ta- 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 right, who right. was... So, so before before Furur and, and many others, uh, we I mean, we had Simine Behbani, we had... Uh, Parvinita well, they're m- more recent than Farouk. They're more recent, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but but prior prior to all three of these female poets, mm-hmm. we had Tahira Goratulain, who uh, supposedly was uh, beheaded right. for revealing her her face to to the world. Right. Um, so we have this one name, but other than that. When Furukh Farahsad was writing poetry, she was the most famous Iranian woman. Right. And, and I think during her time, there was a, a whole uh, generation of writers and like almost beatnik Iranian right. uh, writers in Iran and poets such as Sadiq Hedayat mm-hmm. and Shamlu and Furukh. And, and she was friends with all of them. They were friends. They would actually get together and they would like uh, smoke uh, cigarettes mm-hmm. and drink really dark coffee and discuss... Uh, with you know they were all Marxist leaning, and I think right. there was a a movement uh, prior to seventy nine where a lot of these writers, uh, feminism, and uh, you know ideals that that were being championed by the liberalists by the liberals of the West, uh, these were some of the pioneers. And Furur, as we see in this poem, has no problems uh, expressing her her sexuality as a woman, and I and I feel um, that even now in Iran. Uh, her books are being um, censored. Mm-hmm. So if you find a book by Furul in a library or in a bookstore, you probably would see parts of this poem censored. Oh, wow. The parts about the body being sensual and close to to each other and like 
Yeah, probably the apple would be okay. But she's <laughs> she's still incredibly well read in Iran, though, and incredibly very, very well respected. So. But at the time, you know, there were a lot of rumors around her. It was not easy being Furuk Farukh. Scandalous. So very scandalous. Didn't her lover buy two graves? One that's <laughs> one for her, and one for his own wife. Yeah, but I wonder what's happened since then. Because <laughs> his wife died Ima- a long time Im- ago. Imagine, too. imagine what gesture of like, <laughs> I love you, sweetie. Well, apparently they were all friends, and they would go on vacation together, wow. and they were. Very, they were all very close, so. kind of, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I watched her in an interview with them recently on on the BBC. We'll link to it. Um, but uh, he had an interview about how much he really loved mm. his wife. He really loved mm. Furu. He mm. really likes his cur- loves his current wife. He mm. said, you know, you can't love anyone more than another. You, I, just, you can. There's an infinite amount of love. Right. And he's still very sharp. I mean, he was I think 93 in this interview. Super sharp. Uh, but I, I remember my uh, when I was living in Tehran mm-hmm. uh, prior to, to 2009, uh, the election debacle where Ahmadinejad was elected again, most likely illegally. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was living in Iran, I, I had begun recording my first album. And one of the poems that I was singing was by Furu Afar al Saad. That's right. And, uh, skies I, within your eyes. Skies within your eyes. Mm-hmm. And I, I had to go get permission. I didn't have to, but I wanted to. Oh. From her only living relative, her sister that lives uh-huh. right there in, in Mir Dama, just uh-huh. a handful of streets down from where I would live. And I I remember uh, coming across uh, Furul's sister and, and singing the song and playing it. She just wanted to hear it once and she said, it's okay, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. You, you can... <laughs> We had tea, and I had a verbal uh, okay from the sister just to show respect, that's and nice, apparently yeah. that's what you do. And because there, there is no like element of like, oh, you know, copyright. You There's can't. no copyright in Iran. That's right. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. or, but I think things are changing. Um, but Furul, Furul, uh, beautiful, uh, beautiful poet, uh, one of my favorite, and, and she did end up tragically dying at the age of thirty-three. She had a premonition about her death. Um, and she knew that she was going to die young, right. and she ended up dying in a car accident. Right. I and mean, she 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 was relatively dark, so this is one of her lighter pieces too. That's of, right. Uh, really, really relieving us of the agony of like how tormented she was between societal societal constraints, and at that time there was so much cultural upheaval happening slowly mm-hmm. uh, in the intellectual scene that it, it really culminated later in the seventies. Right. Um, but but she is the Iranian fruit Frito Kahlo. Uh, yeah, uh, that's an interesting way to put that, it. That's one way I, I, I think of her, and I um, I would love to see now more of our female listeners actually come and <laughs> recite uh, this poem. That would be wonderful. Yeah. So what we're gonna do? I actually haven't decided what section we're gonna memorize yet. Great. But uh, we just you know we just read a lot of it, and there's a lot of language in there for people trying to just learn the Persian language. There's a lot of very simple modern language in there that they can learn a lot of vocabulary from. Um, but there's also, you know, there's a lot of it. So we have to decide. <laughs> On how much we want them to recite. <laughs> I would right. say all of it. But, but, but then again, <laughs> Layla's doing the majority of the editing. That here. might be a tall order, um, yeah. But I like that we um, studied so much of the poem because I think it would not have done it justice if we'd right. read a smaller exactly. section. Exactly. Um, well, I'm I'm thank you, Layla, for this suggestion, and I'm really looking forward to having more uh, of um, 
our listeners coming back and reciting. For me, it's such a great uh, reward to hear. And we're actually going to link to uh, Thaid's Skies Within Your Eyes. It's a beautiful piece, much more than just okay. <laughs> and um, it has a lot of English in it as well. And that's also a really nice poem. But I'm excited that we've started to talk about Furu Farosid. We'll definitely have more of our poems in the future. Yeah. Thank you all for listening and yeah. and see you all in Marfa next yeah, year. Yeah, we'll see you in Marfa. We're going to do another episode of Terror on TV <laughs> and hope, hopefully we'll have Layla stay awake through this one. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Fight, and talk, see you guys next time on Chai and Conversation. Bye. Bye.